teen weed use has dramatically changed and parents aren't ready. Parents aren't ready. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if they say so. So you want to talk about the Met Gala? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. I'll do my best. Uh, I'll, you know. Meow. Well, meow. <laughs> Are we recording? Yeah. Let's go. Okay. Taking my second shot. Hello. Yeah, as Rooster takes his second shot. Hello, everybody. My name is Chibi. My name is Rooster. And this is After Two Tequila Shots, a current event podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world after taking two tequila shots. It is uncensored, unfiltered, unpredictable, but always distilled. distilled. Let's get into it, people. Welcome to episode 12, people. We are here. Uh, happy post single de Mayo. We might get into that here in just a bit. My name is Chibi. I'm a poet, producer, podcaster, publisher, p- performer. <laughs> I forgot everything in community. Producer. <laughs> community organizer. And uh, I have watched 16 theatrical productions in the past 48 hours. I saw that. That looked cool. You were the, were you were a judge? No, no, no. Oh, you all. just went to we support. Just, we just went. To, it was not the even to, Not even to support. We just, we just went to watch. Oh. So the first weekend of May is the state competitions for UIL when I play. The big dogs. Yeah. I did, I did when I play in high school. Mm-hmm. I went to a couple of states, you know, to go see, all right, let's see who made it to state because we never did. And um, (laughs) last year, my husband was invited to go by. So most of my friends are teachers Mm -hmm. and a lot of them coach when I play or help or are chaperones or whatever. And so he was invited to go and he had a great time. And he's like, it's just amazing to see this and like such inspiration. And it's like high school kids doing incredible work. And so we're making it an annual tradition. Okay. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it's some good, saw some good work. Uh, some amazing shout out to Harlingen. Okay. Okay. The Valley. Yeah. Hold it down for the thespians. We saw some really incredible work. And again, it's 40 minute plays. So like mm. we saw Othello in 40 minutes, which was trash. Absolute trash. I mean, yeah, you make it into a one act. And line. also the like decisions of like how to stage it and the cuts. It wasn't Othello. It was Iago. Oh. It was the, sh- the, the but anywho, and it was badly acted. I don't know how it made it. And then we saw. Wait, the, so the, you shouted out Harlingen and then just shat on their play? No, that wasn't Harlingen. Oh, okay, cool, we're cool, gonna cool. get there. We saw a production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, mm-hmm. and uh, the actor that played Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. The fuck is that a high school aged? No, like that man was sixty five years old. GMO in the food man, and just like one hundred percent, like not one note which is so easy to do to Big Daddy, mm-hmm. but Harlingen. Harlingen South uh, was the high school, put on a production called Indecent, which, not familiar? No. Okay. It's an all-Jewish play mm-hmm. about a Yiddish playwright that writes a play called God of Vengeance mm-hmm. that goes on to become an incredible blockbuster across Europe in the early 1900s and then takes it to America where it is shut down on opening night because that is a lesbian scene. Oh. And the entire cast of the show is brought up on charges of indecency and get convicted and go to jail. Time out. So is this the real history of this play or this is like what the play is about? This is what the play is about, but this is based off of actual events yeah and then you know a lot of them then end up going back to europe Mm -hmm. and then of course the holocaust happens so they all die shit yeah and 
At first I was like, wait, and all Latino cast is putting on a Jewish show. Mm. I'm it's giving me pause. Yeah. But the moment it started, like the accents were on point and then the production value was on point. There was Jewish dancing and there was singing and there was a live violin on stage. And then like, then you start looking at the layers of like, oh, these students, which are all probably immigrants or children of immigrants, are putting on a show about immigrants that get cast out and then get, you know, like killed because they're being othered while we're living in a state, mm. in a society where currently we are othering those. Because, like, oh, layers, my, we were in tears by the end of it. Damn. So that Shout was. Shout out to Harajan Sur. <clears throat> they ended up winning. Hey. They ended up winning. State champs. State we champs. see y'all. The Valley, y'all go hard. Yes. And then uh, Harlingen competed yesterday and they did Wit. No idea. Not familiar with the... I'll be honest, my... It was a movie. The, okay. Keep so, going, keep going. So was Deliverance. <laughs> I mean, you know, my theater repertoire is not very broad. I'm not going to lie. And it's not because I don't like... Actually, that's not true. I don't, I'm not, I was never really a theater kid. Like, yeah. I was like... You're I, a movie person. I am. And if anyone didn't know that Rooster's a movie person, he has a podcast called Underrated Favorites. Check that, that out. Goes back. So this was... Uh, it was made into a movie, television, drama, film. Oh, starring Emma, Emma Thompson. Thompson. Love Emma Thompson. Essentially, she... He's a uh, John Dunn poetry PhD sure. professor that gets diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and this is her deal reconciling with life and death at and the end of her life. And being a fan of John Dunn. And being a fan of John Dunn. Mm. And so this it's the stories about her. And the actress that played this character was Barf. Just far none just crushed the, it. the best performance uh by any actor across the two days that we saw and they ended better up than big daddy much better than big daddy yeah. yeah so uh yeah anywho i'm i'm chock full on the theater thing it's oh rooster. yeah uh my name is rooster i'm here i'm having a great time uh i have a book coming out later uh in the year that's yeah it's just ready to get into it, man. I'm on one. I'm having a good time. Let's and get I into some this. more uh, tequila yeah. shots to just you know sip. Uh, let's talk about this. This is Luna Sul. Luna Sul. You brought this one. I did. Uh, 100% Master Tilaquero. Uh, his name is his signature is tequila. there. Uh, tequila. <laughs> tequila. That's what Spanish sounds like after two tequila shots. 100% agave from Jalisco, Mexico. Estate grown, reposado. Um, for over 250 years, our family has produced the finest tequila from estate grown, 100% blue Weber agave passed down for, uh, for generations as intention... An intention-rich in tradition, Luna Azul tequila, handcrafted quality. To be clear, it is Luna Azul, not Luna Azul. Yes, they, they, they smashed it together. It's um, it's tangy. Yeah, and it's got this. I don't like the aftertaste. I won't lie. No, but I don't mind the front end. Like it, when it hits the tongue, it's all, sweet. All I'm left with afterwards is like I think you said the word ether. Yeah, you know, like I I feel like there's like I just shot Everclear. Yes, is what I'm left with. This which is not is, playing that it is alcohol. No, no, it's alcohol forward. Uh, what's the what's the price range on this one? This one I think was at twenty nine. Oh, just under thirty. Oh. Which for a reposado under thirty, that's hard to find. Oh. And I think that's where it needs to be. I I would have put it at the like twenty to twenty five range. Sure, because she's uh, let she me, let she, me, she burns. Let me have a little. 
Yeah. She does. She lingers. The burning lingers while the flavor disappears. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. But I do like, you said the forward-facing notes of tanginess that's there. Uh, I could see how this would go great in a margarita. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. If Pile on some sugar on the rim. Yeah, if you're looking to, like, up, up, and upgrade also, your margarita. with a lime, I could probably see... Sure, if this was dressed. Yes, because we don't dress our tequilas. No, if you're, for whatever reason, 12 episodes into this podcast and have not figured that out, we do not dress our tequilas. No. Uh, but if I was biting a lime after this, I'd be like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Okay. All right. I can see the argument made for it. I Luna Sul, y'all have a vision, and it is a $29 vision. Salute. Salute. That officially moves us into our first segment, the major news events recap of the week. Today is May 7th. And that means that uh, two days ago was... May 5th. And as we know, May 5th is full of drunk white people <laughs> pretending to be Mexican. Yeah. Uh, it was Cinco de Mayo. How do you... I mean, Cinco de Mayo happened. How do you feel? Do you care? Do you... You don't... We don't need an excuse to drink. No, we don't need an excuse to drink. And it's also not a Mexican holiday. So, like, it, I don't... Sure. I never grew up celebrating it, you know? I saw a meme. This would maybe fall under the uh, how much for a gram subheading, but it was like places where Cinco de Mayo is celebrated. And it's like all of the United States is highlighted. And then a tiny little region Pueblo. in the central of Mexico is celebrated because that's all it is. Mm-hmm. It is it is a celebration for a region of Mexico. Mexico does not actually celebrate it. It is, spoiler alert, not Mexican Independence Day. Oh. Uh, in case you didn't notice, so uh, I, I don't. Did, did you have a uh, taco salad to celebrate, or <laughs> I, <laughs> what did you do on Cinco de Mayo? I eat a lot of tacos anyway, <laughs> so I did have tacos on Cinco de Mayo, but not for Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. I will say that it's one of those interesting things where, like Canadian Independence Day, we don't celebrate, and neither do we for. Um, Daisy says this September, but see that no, but that's different. Like the September. Independence Day. We do celebrate. Like, I grew no, up no, celebrating No, no, Mexico that. celebrates that. Yes. But I'm saying the U.S. doesn't. And I I grew up celebrating right. it because I am Mexican. Yes, yes, yes. And I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is it's this, it's, I'm more speaking towards the co-opting of Cinco de Mayo. Oh, okay, okay. Being okay. just a fascinating The hallmarking thing. of it all. Yeah. You know. And am I, how, are you upset at it at all? Do you care? Ah, because I do know there's, there are some personalities and IG heads who, who think that it's lame that that it's done but in a weird way i there are times where i almost see it as like a window mm-hmm. for like latinx like acceptance oh. starting via <laughs> a acceptance holiday. or appropriation mm, well like america is a melting pot of appropriation <laughs> yeah because look at what happened with saint valentine's day yeah like all of that. I mean, St. Patrick's Day. Like, we're not in Ireland. Why are we doing that? And you're not Irish. Yeah, Why? At all. <laughs> and I know a lot of people who aren't Irish who go crazy mm. on, on St. Patrick's Day. It's interesting. So when we're talking about the saint, you know, uh, holidays like Valentine's Day or, or St. Patrick's Day, from a 
recovering Catholics point of view, yeah. it takes on a different meaning, right? Because yes. like these are actual saints that are revered and then there, you have people in your family that are named after them. So like it's a celebration of them and their, you know, like namehood. There's a word for that that's right. not coming to me right now. Uh, so there's definitely history behind it. I think it's the hallmarking of it all, right? Like if you went to Party City four days ago, it You're was, part of the problem. Yeah, it was it it was everything that Fiesta authentically is, yeah. but then reproduced via cheap China manufactured um, stereotypical etc. Right. Would you be happier if the United States took Fiesta and or you know, I don't know a about day? Fiesta either, sure, sure, sure. I guess because what I, this is always something interesting that I think of as uh, you know the United States in in theory, our holidays are very meh mm-hmm. for the most part because mm-hmm. you got Columbus Day, which is now being reclaimed mm-hmm. as indigenous Indigenous Heritage Day. Yeah. Um, you have your Valentine's Day, you have your St. Patrick's Day, you have your Cinco de Mayo's, mm-hmm. you have your Fourth of July, and then beyond that, it's kind of just it's a Veterans Day, it's a President's Day, it's a Memorial Day, and war, 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 and white dudes, yeah, <laughs> war, war, except war, for war, Obama. White dudes. Uh, so that's where I'd be happier if this country just kind of got its own holidays and maybe had a. Uh, Dolores Huerta. Sure. Remembrance Day. You know, we have MLK Day. We do. So, like, there there are ways to find things that are relevant to this country mm-hmm. versus what Cinco de Mayo is in this country is not at all connected to anything actually having, like, it's just... Why? And it should, you know what? It, I would say get Cinco de Mayo the fuck out of here. Yeah. Move it to somewhere in between Latinx Heritage Month. Because we're like in the middle of AAIP. Well, Latinx Heritage Month starts because A-A-I-P. of the SEC says September, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. The, the actual Mexican Independence Day. Yes. Right? So, like, let's celebrate Mexican Independence Day because half of this country used to be Mexico. I mean, and Sorry not for nothing, for but like Mexicans are still the largest minority mm-hmm. uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Spanish is the second most spoken language in the United States. Uh, so we here. And, I, and I, we've been here. We've been here. We've kind of been here longer. Yeah. Mm. People, ain't scratch. <laughs> People ain't ready to hear that. Um, but yeah, like let's like I wouldn't mind like because this is also Asian uh, American Pacific Islander Appreciation uh-huh. Month. And shout out to y'all. We love y'all. To me, the more important holiday that happened this past week was May the 4th. Mm-hmm. May the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. That's right. Shout would, out to all our Star Wars fans yeah. out there. Uh that absolutely should be celebrated. Yeah. I'm here for it. I'm a Star Wars fan. Star Wars over Star Trek. Okay. You know. Well, you got to get into Clone Wars, the, the animated series, too. Okay. I have watched season Rebels. one of The Mandalorian. Yeah. Okay. You do, You still haven't seen Andor yet, have you? No. This podcast is over. Wow. Andor is so good. Andor is perfect. Okay. All right. I will take your word for it. I will get on on it. 
I like slow burns. I do too. I'm here for it. I'm so for a slow burn. I hate episodic television. Yes. Hate episodic television. And I, then it all was fixed at the end. I can't stand it. things like NCIS mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, Big Bang Theory yeah. or anything like that where like every episode has its like beginning, middle and end arc that just like resolves itself completely and you can just watch. I do. Hugely unpopular opinion. Don't like The Office. Okay. Your I, wife is about to storm through those doors. And burn this <laughs> and place burn to this the ground. <laughs> um, um, speaking of other things that people don't like. Sure. Uh, the coronation happened this week. The coronation did happen. Officially. Uh, congratulations. You were born and it was going to happen eventually. King Charles is officially the king of England. Yeah. I'm not sure what accent that was. It I was not British. No. Uh, I think... I think this year's coronation needs to come with a tagline, right? The coronation of King Charles. Shout out to side chicks. Yes. And we appreciate side chicks on this pod. If you a side chick, listen, Ma, we we, we dig it. You know what? He, you know he's never going to leave whoever he's with, uh, you know, but... There's a come up to be had. There's a come up to be had if you have your wife killed. Controversial. (laughs) That would be crazy if this pod ever ended up on the BBC because of our takes. Right. If somehow like the BBC decides to come after us for defamation of the king because we. Allegedly. uh, Yes. Yes. Because we have said that. You know, Charles had Diana killed. Allegedly. Mm. Allegedly. We have no proof. <laughs> but no, I don't. I, I, at the coronation this time, I actually will say I think it was a, a, a very understated, like in, as understated as you as can understated be as for a, royal a million yeah. dollar event. Sure, million plus dollar yeah. event. Um, in the sense that, like, I think if this would have been in the eighties or the nineties, it yeah. would have been. Yeah. Like I, I, I do, and all of that is to say that I believe. The royal uh, like idea, the the whole veneer of it is starting to kind of erode. Starting or it has been eroded. I, I'm going to say starting. Okay, I, because it it has been eroding in the hearts and minds of colonized countries and mm-hmm. people of color mm-hmm. for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But now I think even among sort of. British individuals and American individuals who, for some reason, still really love the queen and a monarchy. I think now it's starting to erode a bit where it's like, yeah, you know, I generally don't care because they're just, you know, very wealthy genetic lottery winners. Yeah, I think there's there's two things to look into here, which is one, the relevance of the monarchy and then two, the the. Like you said, like if this had happened in like the 80s, the 90s, even the early 2000s, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when Charles, which is a much younger man with, you know, like bright ideas as to how to modernize the monarchy and things like that. Like if that had happened 20, 30 years ago and the queen had like stepped aside or whatever, you know, then I think his coronation might have meant more, which is, you know. We are two Latinx individuals from South Texas. I don't know what the fuck we know about, you know, like London and the British monarchy, but this is just our opinions. After Ain't my king. Ain't my, hashtag not my king. Yeah. I will say, though, for <laughs> us, because we are just two Mexicans from South Texas, 
it's not it, it reminded me of like when pope john paul v died and mm-hmm. then they got pope benedict mm. and there just wasn't that much gas behind it you know what yeah. i mean it was kind of like oh this is the asshole that we got this now. is what we're gonna get this is what we're left over. but then we got, but then we uh, got pope, pope francis, francis and we right? got hype recovering catholics here yes uh yes pope francis it, but but pope francis does embody this kind of like bridge between you know catholicism of old and catholicism of now mm-hmm. right where i don't think at this point anyway charles 20 30 years ago charles could have been that bridge mm-hmm. but queen elizabeth was like it's my bridge so i'm, I'm not living here forever yes yeah. the troll living under the bridge oh my god i just called queen elizabeth the we troll. are gonna end up on bbc so <laughs> we're gonna be hard. on the bbc uh we love you brits like, but then the do we though the colonizers of I this world Brit- I'm not i mean like british people i know british people i know british people and i, I rock like british them. i yeah. like british people they're cool I, yeah what the country did no, to nah. this global economy this global world that we live in so then the next question is like what is the monarchy even relevant anymore no but i think that's kind of again that veneer that's starting to come down where now Mm -hmm. you have generations of i'll say white like kids have zero care for this nothing Like, especially outside of Britain, like it's getting less and less and less. Whereas, and and maybe that has something to do with the humanitarian part of it, because that Mm -hmm. was the legacy that Princess Diana did have Mm -hmm. and was coming to the United States. I remember when she, during the coronation on the news, they were showing back when Charles came to San Antonio 20, 30 years ago. I don't remember when they gave him like a belt buckle and like that's some <laughs> hick, hick ass shit if I've ever heard it. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I, I'm a Texan. I'm here for a good belt buckle. Straight up. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, it's like, and I just imagine, I was like, that's definitely buried in some archive, like, or like the back of his closet, yeah, you know, like yeah. some closet in some random estate that he never <laughs> visits. Um, but then after she passed and then with like William and the other son, who is married to Meghan Markle? Sure. Henry, Harry, Harry, Harry. yeah, Harry. So <laughs> this is how qualified we are to talk about British about monarchy. monarchies. Yeah, <laughs> William. I think William wanted to sort of be the face of like his, you know, mother, and sort of carry over some of their the, the those humanitarian traditions. And then Harry, by sort of like shirking it and being like, no, nah, this is messed up. The way you did my mom was messed up. Mm-hmm. The way you do my wife is messed up. Everything's messed up. Uh, and we need to kind of burn it to the ground. I think that's really created this conundrum for them where mm-hmm. now like young people look at it and they're like, okay, so this guy still says it's important. This guy says burn it down. You know what? I'm going to go play Fortnite. And they walk <laughs> away. And, the, and and then they realize they're like, you ain't my king. Uh-huh. Hashtag you're not my king. And we keep it moving. I think, well, and that's the part of it is where like all of this is happening in the middle of an economic crisis that is happening in the UK. And they're like, but we're still going to spend millions of taxpayer dollars to do this. Mm-hmm. Right. It just, it's completely disconnected from what is happening in the UK at the moment. And I think the UK also has come up. Uh, a very long way since Elizabeth was crowned 70 plus years ago in terms of being like a multicultural epicenter and has embraced that, Mm -hmm. which I think is great Mm -hmm. for the United Kingdom to understand like, oh yeah, we are uh, a representation of the growing world. Yes. The growing world and, and the, you know, it might be a performative 
aspect in terms of like including all these different religions in the coronation ceremony, but it at the very least is acknowledging the fact that like the UK is a multicultural, multiracial, multi-religional, uh, made that word up, <laughs> place. And they, and they embrace that versus what is currently happening in our country, which is the reverse of that, of trying to ignore the fact Xenophobia, that we are nationalism. The, yes, that yep. this should be a Christian white nation and nothing else in this nation matters. And I do, I, from what I've heard, that those <clears throat> facets of British life do also exist. But overall, it is, I think that's that thing of being a, a nation among so many nations that are so close to each other. You can't not. You cannot, yeah. yeah. Like be, you know. But uh, that's why this country is bigger than all of your. This well, country we're a continent. Is, yeah, this country yeah. is like six Europe's. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that might be the tequila talking, but it's a number of Europe's all clustered together. So, like, yeah, it might why be one in six? Why wouldn't it be? a representation of a mix of cultures and identities and people. And like, we talk about it in terms of like somebody from Texas is definitely different from somebody from Montana is definitely different from somebody from New Jersey. Right. right. So we accept these like regional statewide Do we differences. I, we accept I don't fuck with no one from South Dakota. Like, well, you know, like, That's I, but I don't thing. hold anything against them. No, I do. <laughs> Except for the indigenous folk, y'all are y'all okay. are under fucking fascist rule out there, man. <laughs> Straight up, fuck the Mount Rushmore. I said it. I mean, and I I feel that way whenever I go to the north, and I'm like, what do you mean I have to put sugar in my iced tea? Yeah, it don't come that way. The fuck's wrong with you people? Mm -hmm. So it's a different culture, but like I don't. Or you drink Cuban coffee and it's trying to kill you because it's so <laughs> goddamn strong. But I love that it is here and that there are these options and like you can find your little like niche of things. Right. And so uh, I don't know what this has to do with the British monarchy anymore. But I think I think what we're saying is that it's switching into a new era. And mm -hmm. and and much like the United States. I will say this. I think there's an existential crisis happening mm -hmm. where for the British monarchy, it's a question of do our, what is our relevance? How much money should we be taking from taxpayers? From, that's the big to, part. Because they take care of a lot of families. You know, that lineage is long mm -hmm. and they're all living off of it. Yeah. Um, and then similar here in the United States, we have a, an existential crisis of what does it mean to be American? What does it mean to, to what's I mean, we celebrate Cinco de Mayo for what? For why? Why? And like, like why? And and America is this weird nation without a name. This weird nation that because the United States of America is not a fucking name. Uh, <laughs> that's it's it's a fucking designation. Uh, and Amer then, America is a country founded by immigrants that yeah. is now rejecting immigrants. Yeah, and 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 culture, and yet still wants to sort of stand on on old platitudes, old mm -hmm. romantic ideas of what was of the 50s mm -hmm. and sock hops and all that jazz. I think areas like Arizona and New Mexico are a great example of how like their entire identity is built off of the indigenous folk of the area mm -hmm. and they celebrate it and they uplift it and they're like, yeah, this is who we are and look at our houses that, you know, like are representative of the adobo houses mm -hmm. of old, olden times. However, no, you can't, no, no, you, you indigenous folks of the area, you can't, you can't come. Because yeah. we you can't live like us in imaginary border here. So uh, 
go away. And then you've got people of South Dakota that are like, what, what is happening down there? Like, why are they living in these houses? I, whenever people from South Dakota are on the news <laughs> and they're complaining about what's happening at the border, I want to shoot my television mm. with the gun that I don't own. Because you don't actually know what's happening. Yeah. Other moments where we wanted to shoot our television. Lay it on me, Jack. The Met Gala happened this past week. Meow. Meow. You're not very informed with the Met Gala. I know of the Met is a museum. The Met is a museum. And they, as a fundraiser, they have the gala. They have a gala. That is very expensive and only the who's who of everything can mm-hmm. get in and get invited, let they alone get invited let in. to walk the red carpet. Yes. Uh, I know they have a theme every year. Yes. And then it's become, I, so here's my thing. Has the Met Gala mattered more in the, over the last five years than it did previously? Cause speaking I feel like it's pomp and cir- speaking of pomp and circumstances yeah. that is over the top for right. something, you know, coronation to Met Gala. So the Met Gala honors is, Part of the Met is a fashion area, and so they honor the fashion of a certain theme, and then it has its whole exhibit and things like that where they celebrate said fashion. Uh, and I think that you know, fashion is is an art form of itself and deserves, I think, recognition. Oh, you're making big eyes. No, I'm with it. It's just it's it's it, sometimes <laughs> when I hear it out loud, I'm like, mm. and I but this is that thing of. Fashion is is one of those art forms that is directly linked to commodities, yeah. which is also linked and, and highly linked to capitalism. Yes. And so it's very complicated because at the same time, whereas a um, Karl Lagerfeld has, has made much uh, fashion artwork that is has has stood the test of time. So has Wrangler jeans. God damn it. OK. <laughs> and more people wear Wrangler or yeah. Levi Strauss. Yeah. I think there's something interesting, like I have found a lot of interest in the Met Galas where they had like a theme that was like uh, religion that happened a few years I ago. I Chadwick came through hard. Like, no, that entire, I actually got to see that exhibit because mm-hmm. I was in New York at the time. And like that entire exhibit, it was called Heavenly Bodies. So fucking incredible and in mm-hmm. how religion influenced fashion, right? And I think last year it was camp. Mm-hmm. which was interesting because for camp to be camp, it needs to be unaware of itself. And everyone was very aware of itself. Camp that. doesn't really. Cause yeah, I, camp is sort of, to me, one of those things sort of like uh meta or, or yes. Yeah. Where it, it knows what it's doing. And yet, in the face of it goes harder. Yeah, exactly. It steers, cl- you know, more into it. It knows what it's doing and it leans into it, but without like leaning into it with the intention with of irony. wanting to be camp. Yeah. You know, it just wants to be what it is. Mm-hmm. And unironic. And it's camp. Yeah. So for them to have, I can't remember the last time there was a Met Gala that focused on a designer specifically. So for them to have one for Karl Lagerfeld. Somewhat of a controversial figure, which we can maybe Some, touch on a little somewhat, bit. Somewhat, somewhat, kind of. How much, but how many controversial, <laughs> that's the tequila. Yeah. Uh, how many controversial figures in fashion yeah. exist? Yeah. Coco oh, Chanel. Most of them, uh, mm-hmm. for well, some reason. But we're for not going to s- take you to the carpet, girl, but damn. But for someone to be so overtly racist, misogynistic, fat phobic, fat phobic mm-hmm. And to then be put on this pedestal of being like the theme of the Met Gala feels a bit, you know, like off the pulse. Like, you know, Anna Wintour. Didn't he just recently pass away though, right? So he died right before COVID and 
And some and now and controversy or not, do you give? He had the big controversy. He like, had the big controversy a- because of you know all his use of like fur and leather, and you know Peta fucking hated Karl Lagerfeld left and right, sure, and wanted to bring him down. So plenty of reasons to dislike the man. And for those that don't know, you know, he's most famous for his work with Chanel and with Fenty and kind of created these iconic styles and looks for the brands. Chanel runways that were unmatched. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. Um, I mean, yeah, like fashion forward here. And and this can also extend to a lot of art forms when we really break it down. We talked about it already on this pod, like separating the art from the artist. Yes. So like, let's take someone like a Bill Cosby, for instance, who Mm -hmm. when eventually he Mm -hmm. passes away, what kind of a send off do we give him? Does he get some roses? Does he get no roses? Do we just kind of like, because because there's whole communities of people and I'm in one of those communities because damn, the Cosby show, I was alive in the 80s and I saw Uh that shit uh, that are going to feel away. Like, damn, like deserve some kind of flowers. But I think like Bill Bill Cosby and Karl Lagerfeld, they got their flowers while they were living. It's not like they were ignored for all of the stuff that they did. They won plenty of awards for it. They were Mm. recognized for the movements that they did. They were recognized for what they accomplished. So you're saying Vaya con Dios hat tip. Yeah, Vaya con Dios, you know, bless you and what you did for your industry. However, you do not need this post humanists we're gonna bury you and and we're gonna move on with life because there's plenty of also living artists that we could be celebrating well not just that i do want to kind of hit on this because i think this may be a conversation that doesn't happen and i've never heard of before where it's like yeah what do we do with controversial people who are still alive or recently passed i mean i think we've done that with the r kelly's of this world no 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 we've canceled the r kelly's of the world and we put them in jail but at the same time they have yet to die because oh it's once like, they die yeah because it's like there's there's this hannibal burris joke where he says uh I, he has a joke where he makes fun of will smith and he's like i hope that like I Will Smith dies before me because if not, then this joke is gonna come back to bite me in the ass because everyone's gonna be like, "Ha ha, Hannibal, you were wrong. Will Smith outlived you." <laughs> and then yeah, but then when Will Smith dies, we're gonna hear like all his songs like getting jiggy with it in uh-huh. Miami. And there is that sort of nostalgia that we have, like when ain't like it, sure, it, but it, it doesn't need to be the theme of the largest fundraiser for one of the mo- most for major fashion though. Yeah, it, they could have gone any other way. In fashion, there's though. so many. There were many, and other I'm not options. caping for Carl Lagerfeld because I'm many the cis hetero on the couch, and I know <laughs> Jack <laughs> about this. Many other options that could have happened. Uh, I do want to take a moment to shout out our friend, uh, friend of the pod, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, always welcome. Rocking the shorts, very South Texas style. And, and listen, he. I, this is how I knew that he has lived in San Antonio or in this area for a while because he had the coat. With shorts. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, that's a very South Texas thing. There's hoodies getting worn with the shorts. <laughs> I'm wearing a beanie right now with a t-shirt and like little very breezy summertime shorts. This is what we do. He was rocking head to toe Valentino. Yeah. At a Carl Lagerfeld tribute. Valentino oh. was a direct competitor of Carl Lagerfeld. Shots fired. And so much so to where he had the Valentino logo manicured onto his middle fingers so that he could just flip off everyone in Valentino. See, and okay, Pedro, look, you are always welcome on the pod. <laughs> we stand you. 
we get it. You 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 are it right now, yeah. and uh, everyone else can go to bed because Daddy says so. That's right. That's right. So, did we need to be having this conversation? Do we need to be celebrating Karl Lagerfeld at this moment? Should we not be honoring the real hard workers of this world right now? I think we should. Which leads us into our next conversation. Let's go. The Writers Guild of America is on strike, y'all, and we stand with y'all. As writers ourselves, uh, absolutely here for it. I do want to start this with a meme that's been circulating that hits hard in the hearts of a Spice Girl millennials, which is the Writers Guild is on strike. How bad can it get? Poster of Heroes. Yeah, if you uh, were around when Heroes was a thing, <sighs> Heroes season one might have been one of the best mm-hmm. starts to a show ever. Mm-hmm. Heroes season two during the writer's strike butt cheeks just gnarly it just went hard downhill and then it like ended Mm. i think mid-season four without an actual finale it was sad and it was like heroes could have been the x-men of tomorrow Mm -hmm. and um the and the writers said we're not getting compensated enough and uh tanked what could have been one of the greatest tv shows of all time 30 rock if i'm not mistaken might (laughs) have kind of caught some some blowback from the writer's strike as well so for anyone that doesn't know what's going on rooster break it down to us what are the issues so right now the writers guild of america is on strike because um there is a big seismic change happening in the entertainment industry because of tech bros such as amazon and netflix and many 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 others um and ai and ai where we're at this sort of crossroads where the deals that used to exist for specifically TV writers uh, no longer exist. So whereas you would write a pilot or a season for a show, uh, there were uh, there was a time where writers could get residuals off of reruns, off of the show going on and getting syndicated uh, and so forth. But now a lot of that doesn't exist anymore because technology has has just transformed the landscape. Now we live in a streaming world. Right. And so a lot of the money that that writers specifically used to make to live on is now gone. Plus a lot of the former models, like writers' rooms, are now being changed. They're being renamed. And writers are, are got to a point where they tried to speak to these companies and hold mm. court essentially and say, look, these are our demands. We need to to make some changes, some radical changes here mm-hmm. uh, for equity purposes. And all of the the these companies just basically ignored them. The WGA essentially was coming up on the end of their contract. I think it was a three year contract, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And they were like, as we are going to sign new contracts, we need to renegotiate them. And everyone said no. Mm-hmm. Essentially. And like you said, like it's it's residuals from streaming are ridiculously low can compared to what residuals from TV reruns were. Uh, AI is taking over a lot of like the writing process. Writing rooms are being are smaller and smaller. And so you have writers from some of your favorite TV shows, some of the greatest TV shows of all time that are struggling to pay rent. And they're like, we just want to be able to make a living doing what we've been doing and making you millions and millions of dollars while we are 
And to be clear, the CEOs are making bonuses, millions and millions of dollars, big, big bonuses yeah. while they're struggling. While and the creators of their content, literally mm-hmm. none of these shows would exist without the actual writers. And their shows are starting to live on in like memes and in culture and really making impacts. And yet they don't get the same kind of residuals that they used to get at all. And it's just making life a lot harder for, for the creatives, uh, at the forefront of 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 creativity mm-hmm. uh in this particular realm um so i, I don't th- know what do you think so i think it's safe to say that we are on the side of the writers guild of america and the, there's you know like there's i don't know if there's necessarily more than we need to expand on said topic but i do okay this is my thing because I did have there's a, a a note in the in the show notes here where I says is technology flattening creativity and so here's my thing I don't side with uh, the owners of these big corporations at all and yes they're getting bonuses that should absolutely go to more creatives on the bottom but this is my question to you is as new technology in other fields, right? So let's say you're a coal miner, but now because of green energy, we're switching gears. We're getting out of that. Your what you did is no longer necessary anymore. Mm-hmm. Or farmers now, guess what? We don't need as many of y'all. We do it a different style because of technology. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this is also a a a big cataclysmic point. Where because of technology, because of streaming, you now have just so many more options now that it's dis- diluted what... It's supply and demand. Yes. There's so much supply that the demand is less. It's basic economics is what you're saying. In, oh, in not so many words, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I question, like, here's the thing. Like, do I believe writers should get a living wage? Absolutely. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm not on the side of the writers. Mm-hmm. My question is, is I think this is, again, an existential crisis that is happening mm-hmm. in all sort of different facets. And, and I think that's where, like, they were at that point where it's like, all right, three years ago or however many years ago it was that the contract was signed, streaming was not what streaming is today, right? So now that we are here today... We would like to renegotiate our contract to address the realities of today, right? But I don't know if these corporations can address the realities of today because I don't think they understand the realities of today. They can by paying more for each kind of like what residuals are for like Mm. TV reruns. It's like, all right, well, now TV reruns aren't a thing. So let's. But they don't get money from that. That's what I'm saying, because it's and and here's a a closer example to us. So you remember like what, maybe eight years ago where like if you had a video on YouTube that did, let's say, five million views, you could use that. And there was money generated from that. Now, five million views isn't as like, hey, let's bang the drum like it used to. Mm -hmm. Or even like, let's make it even smaller scale, like five hundred thousand views. Now it's it's, but now because of TikTok and now that you have all these other avenues um, for visibility and Mm -hmm. for your content to exist out there that where you personally, as a person who writes it, Mm -hmm. doesn't get money from that. I think that's where we're at right now. And that's because the model has changed to a subscription based model. And that's why like HBO does get money from people watching game of Thrones because people will pay money to subscribe to HBO to watch game of Thrones. So why not pay the people that are writing those episodes more money if those are the episodes that are bringing people to your platform. Because then how do you grow beyond the Game of Thrones model? Because let's say you have a show that is like near and dear to your heart. Let's say Peacemaker, which was kind of successful. 
Um, but it's like, well, we want to do this. This is why we live in the the intellectual property vacation of media right now, where everything is a spinoff or a, a, a byproduct of something mm-hmm. else or some larger deal, because studios are afraid to do anything radical. Like, let's just give a, a new artist with a new voice or something different a platform and ten million dollars to put their platform out there to maybe end up making. 40 million like they can't mm. afford to make 40 million anymore they have to make billions of dollars with these avengers movies with mm. these guardians of the galaxy movies with the batman movies all this stuff now because that's just the the the, the bottom line of it from their end mm. and i think that's kind of similar to, to to sort of where we're at now where it's like all the dynamics have changed technology has flattened creativity to in in good ways but I'm starting to think in more bad ways where now anyone's a cre- we're creators, you know, like, like yeah. we don't have a huge, huge following. Shout out to the people who listen. But, <laughs> and we love you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we, but we haven't, are we really afraid the BBC is going to come after us? No, because we don't have anyone in Britain who listens to us. Yet. Probably not. Uh, I mean, yes, I understand what you're saying. You know, like I went through it uh, as a makeup artist where when like YouTube, just exploded suddenly right. everybody and their fucking mother was a makeup artist right yep. and they all knew what to do and everybody was following them and taking their word as god and it was like but do you really know what you're doing right, right. versus those of us who have been here for a while doing what we're doing right and so yeah it, there is <clears throat> i see it every time that i log on to netflix and i'm like everything is a netflix original how much money is this company spending on making all of these originals that like, who's watching these? There's so much fucking content out there that we, that we've all seen the memes of the, we spend more time doom scrolling through Netflix than mm-hmm. actually watching Netflix, trying to figure out what to watch. But I don't think that means that we can take away. If, if a show is unsuccessful and it does not get a whole bunch of views then the people that wrote that show concurrently will not get a whole bunch of money. But that's if a not show it. is successful and it does get a ton of views, then the people that wrote that show should get a ton of money. And I think that's what they're trying to argue no. is that like, we're not being paid adequately for the, sh- for per, per episode as it were. Well, right. That yes. But if let's say there's still the how much do we pay a person to write a show to do it? Yes, because yeah. that's the thing, too. It's like maybe that's the answer, because, listen, there's a lot of people out there who are making free content that they don't get paid for. Mm-hmm. A lot of your favorite podcasts. Hi, my name is Chibi. This is Rooster. Uh, we're making free content. Free that we're not being paid fucking for. <laughs> content. Like now it's a question of like, how do you get something started mm. and invest in it? with the hopes of maybe it catches fire, but what if it doesn't catch fire? And now we've paid these individuals, these actors, Mm -hmm. these directors, these, Mm -hmm. you know, people who do the boom mics on down for a flop. Yeah. And you can't afford that. I think writers historically have been undervalued and underpaid, like, but in movies, Mm -hmm. television, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, that's what I'm getting at. All of it is like nothing would exist without writers. Right. And so I think there's something to be said about putting writers on a bigger pedestal. 
because they are the basis for whatever it is that then comes after it, right? An actor would not be a successful actor were it not for the words on the page. An editor would have nothing to edit were it not for the words on the page. Right. You know, a director would have nothing to direct were it not for the words on the page. And the fact that these people are being treated as the bottom of the totem pole almost. Is wrong. You know, uh, while directors, actors, producers are making way more way 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 more money is and we're working more hours is is a problem no absolutely it's an absolute problem and then there's the ai of it all yeah the <clears throat> chat gpt of it all which i actually love chat gpt uh mm. not for creative endeavors i love chat gpt for a great email or a social media post you can't just write an email or i love take like it just saves time. I it, don't use it that much, so you got to clarify. It saves me. a ton of time. Really? And also, for me, creates a foundation to which to build upon, mm. right? I don't see it as in its current incarnation. Who knows what the future holds? Well, it wants to kill us. <laughs> yeah, I don't see it replacing art mm. because it lacks that level of human connectivity that all art seems to have, you know, like, and and is required of it in order to connect on a human emotional spectrum. Uh, but I do see it as a really great way to draft a, you know, company announcement or, you know. Here's where I disagree with what you're saying, because I think about this a lot. The thing about artists of all walks is that what you're paying for is it, it's not even the work real or well, it is the work. Uh -huh. It is what you're paying for is their artistic um, reflex uh -huh. where they have seen a lot. They've read a lot. They've written a lot. They've, they get inspired from places where nobody else can even imagine. Like even, even AI, uh -huh. you know, sometimes I get inspired from uh, chefs on how to run a poetry slam. And it's like, wait, you know, like, I don't think an AI can do that. Mm -hmm. They just know how to run based on whatever you input. Yes. Anyway, yes. my point is, is that I think that the goal of, 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 of any artist is to sort of not necessarily take and rob and, and, and like repurpose, mm -hmm. but it is to sort of feel something You've learned a, a, a method of of how to sort of respond to whatever it Interpret is. Interpret said feelings. Right. And it's kind of almost like similar to this is why we have martial arts. There's only so many ways you can throw a punch. Uh -huh. But like when you're in a fight, like you throw a punch, your, your, your moves in a certain combination. And I think the same thing is true when you're creating art. If someone is saying, Chibi, write a, uh, write a, a play about X, Y, and Z, you're going to bring a totally different yeah. combination yeah, of yeah. dynamics. But, but we went through this on episode like one or two of this podcast where we use chat GPT to be like, come up with like the synopsis of an I alien movie. I didn't do that. Yeah, oh, wait, no, yes. yeah, I didn't Come up with it like the synopsis of an alien movie where blah, blah, blah. like we gave it a basic plot. It came up with the synopsis and like you were like, save this shit. We're going to write the script, right? right? So it gave us a foundation. Now it's up to us, the artist, to actually flesh out that foundation and right. like make it into something that like is actually worthy of whatever, right? It's for us to actually make something of it. I don't think AI at its current point is capable of replacing artists. 
could it maybe in the future? But see, no, you're kind of saying that, though. No, no. You, you kind of are. No, because it's still in the hands of the artist well, to but, actually make it art. But see, and this goes back to death to corporate scum because of it all. Because if, if Amazon Prime says, you know what, fuck it, we don't need to pay creatives who literally sit on their ass which is still work because they're thinking up shit it just doesn't just fucking come out of sitting at a desk Mm -hmm. but uh paying them to sit on their ass for however many weeks to create something that will be a hit um versus let's just hire some kid fresh out of you know let's even just say four-year bachelor english program to get a chat gpt and then reinterpret it for half the cost and no benefits i think that's where we're in danger at across Mm -hmm. the board Mm -hmm. for all types of things Mm -hmm. and yeah i'm I'm kind of getting more and more against it i'm getting more and more against technology in general Mm -hmm. but you are this kind of like Boho chic. I, I, you know, I'm going to live my life on the west side of San Antonio and, you know, be happy with like my little goddamn right corner of the world. And uh, because the world just keeps getting crazier the further I get out of my house. Of course it does. And not for the good. I, you know, that's how I feel. The further (laughs) I get out, the more madness I see. I see the uses of AI because I use it in so many different ways that are not creative focused i see the dangers that ai pose on the creative community i don't see it replacing creatives because i still think that it lacks you know what we what i experienced this past weekend you know watching these high schoolers put on these one act plays of like there's a human connectivity here like there is something that is absolutely necessary of like humans connecting with humans that can't be replaced by artificial intelligence. But that was just the actor and the director who cut down the words that already existed. Mm-hmm. So again, like you, Chad G and, and I think I want to push back on this point. You say Chad GPT can't get rid of creatives. And I agree with that. It's not going to get rid of all creatives, but it could potentially get rid of, 75 percent of the creatives and that is the problem Mm -hmm. for that that i see because like i mean shit i'll keep it a buck how much bad poetry do we hear how much bad writing exists out there Mm -hmm. there's times i love to read i read a lot of different books of all different types of walks I mean, Jordan Peterson's a fuck ass writer, but like (laughs) his book is out there and is a bestseller and he sells a lot of goddamn books for, you know, white men to feel like their lives have meaning. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Can ChatGPT do that? Absolutely. Is ChatGPT the new ghostwriter? ChatGPT is not the new ghostwriter. Because that's that's another thing is like ghostwriters like have existed for a very long time in this industry of like. This is the person that we think wrote it, but that's not who actually wrote it. Somebody else wrote it. It was a ghostwriter. They got paid to write it. I would say no, because the thing about a ghostwriter is a ghostwriter still has particular aesthetics and styles and and creative decisions throughout the process. It's not their story, mm-hmm. but they're they are. It's kind of like I'll, I'll say it like this. Actually, it's it's almost like gourmet restaurants. You have a chef who creates the recipe along with other chefs and kind of they brainstorm they create the, the 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 head chef creates the menu but then you have the sous chef and all the other chefs who are then in charge tasked with 
recreating what was intended. And I think that's what it is. And then there's moments where other chefs add to the menu. And if you go to that restaurant, you may think, oh, the head chef is brilliant. But this came from Travis <laughs> from Battalion, uh -huh. who came up with his own thing. Shout out to the homie Travis. But uh added it and now it's made its way to the menu but you think it's the head chef mm -hmm. and i don't think there's anything wrong with that that's also part of the creative process too is that we take from each other we there's times i've given you lines you've given me lines i've edited something of yours does that mean that it's now mine like no it's just part mm -hmm. of the process and i think that even extends to whoever hires a ghostwriter like you made the money you paid a writer to do it for you fine but with chat gpt it's this cheat code almost like a video game mm -hmm. where you are saying okay let me just input some inputs and this is what comes out and now i'm gonna do the creative process on the tail end well shit if i was doing the creative process on the tail end i'd have had 30 books by now <laughs> like shit like that's that's part of the struggle in some ways but that's also the money par problem of it too this mm -hmm. is why like you know, I'd be surprised sometimes when I find out like Kim Kardashian has more than one book written or, you know, yeah. the, someone yeah. like that. Like, how do you have that many books? And I think that's where the problem is capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's always capitalism where you see these studios deciding like, well, let me take the cheaper option and use AI than to actually hire writers to do the work. And I think you'll see this play out in the long run where what is actually created by creatives working in the field is going to outrank, outperform, out whatever, what is being artificially created by technology without that kind of like human touch and human connection. No, 100%. Apparently Kim Kardashian wrote three books. Allegedly. Get the fuck out of here. Allegedly. Uh, ghostwriting or artificial intelligence or, you know, speaking of everything else that is wrong with this world, this is now time to transition over to how much for a gram? We're going to go into the social media of it all. Things that we saw on social media and that we need to comment on. Luna Sewell, do I like you? No. Do you get the job done? Yes. Yeah, I'm still on the fence about it. I'm still on the fence about it. You Pour mean me as far another. as a taste or as far as like, is it giving you a buzz? Uh, both. I don't know. It's, I'm on the fence about it is okay. what I'm saying. Uh, so this week on How Much Fear Grams... Speaking of the internet. So the internet and social media and technology <laughs> and, and how they clash done, with reality, what it has done for us. I think, you know, to quote the Tony Award winning musical Avenue Q. Mm. The internet is really, really great for porn. I've got a fast connection so I don't have to wait for porn. What? And I think that's all we can play without being sued for copyright infringement. We do so. not own the rights to that song. <laughs> At all. But we stand it. Uh, Pornhub was in the news this week and made it across our Instagram feed. Rooster, uh, tell us what's going on. Right now, the institution, the uh, afternoon delight provider, the your <laughs> partner, significant other, spouse is left for the weekend uh, friend that is known as Pornhub 
is up against the mighty state of Utah. Ah, yes, where I believe that Jesus has his very own planet. That's right. That comes from a Book of Mormon. Speaking yeah. of Mormon, I do musicals. know that one. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Pornhub, Pornhub has blocked access to the entire state of Utah because Utah recently passed a statewide age verification law, which requires sites verify the age of users each time they use the website. Pornhub said, fuck you, we out. Uh-huh. This is, I, I do think there's layers to this because while I completely side with Pornhub, um, shout out to uh, Raylene. Shout out to uh, uh, that's all I can really think about. Right. <laughs> um, the uh, the law, however, it the, porn has always been under the ire uh, of conservatism for a long, long time, mm-hmm. and Utah is that place where it thrives and it and it strives because mm-hmm. damn it, if the Mormons ain't trying to live by some biblical laws, <laughs> <laughs> so. I think uh, this is fascinating because at the same time, too, there is much like you go to a convenience store mm-hmm. and you want to buy some cigarettes. They're going to say, what's your ID? Show it to me. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where Utah is coming in on this. Mm-hmm. I feel for the young people of Utah. If anyone hears us, we feel for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, as as two folks who grew up on watching Channel pixel after pixel, re, re, you know, refresh itself over the course of six minutes, yeah, so that you could finally get a clear image of some naked people or Channel seventy seven in between the yeah. static. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had a great TV for that. It was perfect, like because it would freeze the static, but let the picture pl- pass. So like you caught maybe seventy two percent of the uh-huh. whole image. <laughs> it was great. Um, porn is one of the most American things, is and so is Jesus Christ. So yeah. the fact that they're at war in Utah mm. says a lot. Mm. Well, they're at war for the young people. We're always trying to save the youth. Yeah, trying to save the youth from porn, uh, but not guns. No. Uh, and that's we're not getting into that nope. this week because if we talked about every mass shooting, then that would be this entire podcast. Um, I think what's interesting is that this law has been enacted in places like uh, Louisiana. Really? Yeah, but Louisiana has a digital ID service that it offers, right? So that much like you can save your credit card to your whatever, you can verify by like, here's my ID, boom, moving on, right? So it does not put this extra barrier in place of like having to do it every time. And that's why when this law went into effect in Louisiana, Pornhub was like, well, that's cool. You know, like the state has put in something that allows allows people to register and verify their ID via the state and whatnot. Utah has nothing like that. And so that's why Pornhub was like, and we're out. Because they say it's bad for business. Not that it's bad for business, but that it creates so many more obstacles that don't need to be there. Also, based off of... um, Precedent. There's already a Supreme Court Constitution ruling in where these kind of barriers don't need to be put in place if there already are other barriers that need to be like jumped over. Right. And so Pornhub already has other regulations in which it tries to you know, make sure that minors are not accessing its site 
as well as like the state has its own ways of implementing this. The interesting thing that this does is that by Pornhub backing out, being like us as a reputable company that already, you know, does what it can to make sure that we are moderating our content and restricting who can access it and yada, yada, yada. By them backing out, it just opens it up to so many non-American companies that don't put in this due diligence and therefore making porn much more dangerous, quote unquote, and, you know, accessible to young people. So by you, they're essentially deregulating the market by putting in regulations. Right. And the very uh, similar thing is happening in Texas with TikTok, <clears throat> um, trying to sort of, again, going back to, I guess, the theme of this episode, the internet, is it ruining everything? Question mark. Um, I, it, it is that thing where like because of the internet kids I, I here's a question for you how old were you when you found Pornhub I, I don't think Pornhub existed when I was when I found porn no no not porn Pornhub specifically I have no idea probably college really because I don't I don't think it existed when I was in high school okay if, so you were in college and someone was like hey did you hear about this I guess I think I was 30. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have like a clear recollection of like, oh, Pornhub, that's a thing. Yeah. Well, no, because I so like I'd been on the Internet for a good minute. But for some reason, I never had the thought because I was still under some of the rules and ideas of the old Internet that if I was just on Google, I could just, in, you know, say type in, <laughs> like bring the nudes and they <laughs> and would appear and there they would be. Yeah. I had no idea about that until like I was like clearly 30 and then and then I was my mind was blown. But I, I, I think porn in the United States is something that needs a lot of care and consideration mm -hmm. because as someone who's traveled throughout the country by car, the only things we love in this country are naked people and Jesus. <laughs> and we need to stop pretending that anything is different. Yeah. And for a state like Utah to have the gall to want to to tell their young people, no, nay, you cannot see even Naughty and many of the others, mm. uh, the, the elite of Pornhub. Uh, that's <laughs> the fact that you're fascism. name dropping. <laughs> Goddamn right I am. Because uh, you know what? Because like, listen, what are we trying to go back to? The 90s? I, don't I, I remember having to find like nudie mags and fucking rock quarries uh -huh. and being excited. <laughs> Me and like, and there's like five of my friends and we're uh -huh. like, okay, who gets it first? Like we share it. Uh -huh. And you're like, damn it. You know, like this is just how we had to live. Or you would like go to the Seven Eleven and just kind of like, as you were buying candy, like peek over the little adult section uh -huh. to maybe catch a glimpse uh, Victoria's Secret changed the game <laughs> where it was like just out there brawn panties in the window in the window we had the Sears catalog before that man so Pornhub wow. Pornhub like took us to the moon as as part of the queer community where like our queer identities were not as forward facing straight up as that I think we've been used to living in the shadows of the yeah. internet for, for a very long time um I, again, like, I don't remember when Pornhub crossed my th threshold. 
Um, (laughs) Oh, it's a whole site. It just feels like it's always been here. You know, like, uh, and especially nowadays in the OnlyFans and Just for Fans era that we are living in, you know, I will, and this is my, like, you know, I stand on the independent line. I will concede that, you know, we should do what we can to make sure that minors do not get their hands on porn. However, I also remember being a minor and being like, yeah, my birthday is June 12th, 1958. Mm-hmm. You know? And also, let's kind of talk about the, uh, what was it, Alabama of it all, where you had the the teacher who lost, or the principal who lost her job because there was a, a, an instructor who was showing the statue of David, the the wonderful Michelangelo oh, sculpture oh. with his penis out. Art and, versus porn. Yeah. And so this is where it all gets so convoluted in this country. And yet there's always older people and older generations trying to curb. But I, I this also uh, hard rights <laughs> into the sex ed of it all. Uh-huh. Like we don't like and to so many more issues that are so fucking terrible like trans issues and gender issues and sexuality issues it's the christianity it's, of it all it is and it's fucking ass it's the christianity of it all and it's not you know what i mean like amazing even naughty ass even it's just trash mm-hmm. where it's like it, it there is a a movement to to impose modesty mm-hmm. modesty yeah. Onto people, we can we can talk about sex without being sexual. We can have nudity without it being pornographic. I, and I think there are ways to put in safe holds without banning an entire platform from an entire state. And also, you know? let kids be weird. Let kids be weird because I, I was the weird kid. So, yeah. like, you know. Like, well, here's here's my thing. Is I, I, this is one of the stupidest things that I think that we do. And it's kind of a theory. I feel like in the United States, parents don't really want to parent. They want sort of regulations to exist or sort of like you go to a bowling exactly. alley, there's bumpers exactly. that save their kids from yeah. their inability to parent. And it's not their inability to parent because they don't want to parent. It's mm-hmm. inability because we live in two income households and busy lives and tired lives. But and that, so that's what happens. That is exactly the nature of this lawsuit that Pornhub is like filing back is like, but par- parental regulations already exist. You as the state don't have to mandate this because parents can already block these sites from their kids. This is taking away the right of free speech in terms of like us who qualify. Yeah. From people who qualify. And so if you as a parent, we're Pornhub is trying to give the rights back to the parents to dictate what their kids can and cannot see or say. Right. So if you as a parent don't want your kids to see this, you as a parent can block it. You don't need the state to intervene. If you as a parent don't give a fuck, then don't give a fuck, you know, and that is your parental choice. This is the state imposing its right on the freedom of the people. Like even with the movie regulations where what qualifies PG-13 versus R versus PG, it's nonsense. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, spoiler alert, has one F-bomb. 
That was it. That was a spoiler. Okay. I was about to take my headphones off. But they, <laughs> they, 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 they were the first Marvel movie that drops an F bomb. Uh huh. And in my, and it's still PG thirteen. Yeah, but then you're my, allowed to. Yeah, but that's the most <laughs> ridiculous. Like, how does that sort of justify? Oh, a thirteen year old, or, or uh -huh. you know, can between thirteen and eighteen? It's, it's the exact same conversation. Twice. It's the exact same conversation as sex versus war. Right. Sex versus violence. But right? John Wick, we can have no motherfuckers' heads off. Yeah, we have no problem seeing blood and gore and people dying and all of that jazz. Like. I remember this growing up to where like we would watch these movies, war movies or whatever, where like there would be violence and it'd be fine. But the moment a pair of titties came on stage, Shut it my down. father was like, cover your eyes, cover yeah. your eyes, cover your eyes. And it's like, why is love more offensive than death and violence? Right. And it's and I remember kind of piggybacking off what you're saying. I remember in school watching violent movies about war, like mm -hmm. this is Vietnam, this is what it was like, uh -huh. and seeing her, her atrocities. Yeah. And you know what's more natural than war? Love making. The human body. There's, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like the human body is everywhere. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like. And happening <laughs> way more often than war. Way more. So it's just this weird conservative Christian of it all mm -hmm. to just want to say we have to protect the children, but protect them from what? And what I believe it is, is protecting them from your motherfucking responsibility as a parent mm -hmm. to explain beyond the birds and the bees and talk about the P's and the V's mm -hmm. and the B's and, and the, the BDSM uh, and, uh, and, and all o, of it. O jobs and the BJ's and the FJ's and ZJ's. The entire spectrum that is the sexual identities of human beings because um, there's a lot happening out there. This may go a little bit longer right now, but I'm curious because I, I just I'm curious about like your your thoughts on this. It's something I do think about a lot. Because I have a lot of friends who do have kids and I've had that conversation like, when did you ever have the talk with them or whatever? And most of the time, the talk is trash. Mm -hmm. it, and, 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 and I remember the talk I got, it was trash. My dad literally, my, I remember my mom had maybe saw something on Dateline and was pushing my dad like, you need to have the talk with him. You need to explain sex to him. And then my dad just essentially, I think I was maybe 16 or 15. My dad saying, you know what it is, right? I was like, yeah. He was like, don't do it. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I left the room. But <laughs> my, but with, with, I think about like, if I were to have my own children or like even just kids to teach, because as mm -hmm. like, I teach people like, why is this something that's so complicated? Christianity. Well, I, I Christianity. Think, I think that's that's a shorthand for that you're not wrong about. But I also think it's this thing where, like, even not really practicing Christian people have this weird. It's kind of similar to corporal punishment, mm -hmm. where I know people who. This is a question I always pose to my students, where I say. Um, are, how many of y'all are pro spanking your own children? Mm -hmm. I usually get anywhere in the ballpark between 65 and 89, 90% of the class with their heads up. And I say, okay, cool. So you're fine with hitting your child. Yeah. Then I ask, okay, how many of y'all are okay if your teacher, if there's your student's teacher or principal spanked your child? None of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's fascinating. Let's talk about this. Why? And one of the things that they always say is, well, they don't know my child. They don't know how to teach my child. They don't know how to discipline my child. But at the same time, that teacher should know your child in theory because they're with them all this time uh -huh. that if your child is that <laughs> messed up or acting out, 
probably can make that call. And then it becomes a question of, well, what if they, they go too far? Well, what if a parent goes too far? Like, what if anyone goes too far? And then I, this is the way I kind of tie it all together is when your child turns 18, if they break a law, what, like uh, severely enough, what happens to them? Well, they go to jail and that's punishment. And do you get to stop them then? Like, no. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of the thing that I think we're missing in this weird fucking country we live in where parents have this idea of what, what education supposed to be, but they're not learning. The kids aren't learning anything. Mm -hmm. They're just given platitudes, raw deals, hypocrisies, half measures for, for explaining what sex is and sexuality and the spectrum of all this, because yeah. the, honestly, the parents don't know, or the parents aren't really trying to know, or the parents have their own kinks that they're ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to just be honest with their fucking kid and feel judged by their child. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and so, well, if you're not going to teach your kid, then who the fuck teaches your kid? And it's usually they find out on their own or vis-a-vis Pornhub. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that goes on the the idea of like, yeah, it does take a community to raise a child because like the problem is that like parents have been raised on this idea that parents know everything, right? And parents don't know shit. And I think the best parents are the parents that have like come out and admitted like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Being an adult is hard. Yeah, Damn. being an adult is hard. Raising a child is hard. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing the best I can with what I got and accepting help from other places and other people and other institutions that are going to help them, you know, kind of like raise a child or teach them and understanding that like the entire world is your oyster to learn knowledge, right? Like, and it gets especially difficult if you are straight parents raising a queer child. You have no idea. I am sorry, mom and dad, but you were never going to teach me how to douche my pussy. There you go. That was just not going to happen. Nope. Because you don't know what that know. you don't know what that reality is, right? So I had to go learn on my own, and you learn from your community, and you learn from watching porn, and then you learn from porn stars creating YouTube videos yeah. on how to do blah blah blah. In case nobody ever taught you why, because nobody ever taught us, mm -hmm. right? My my entire sex ed education was a videotape. Yeah. Sit down, watch this video, say, cool. Any questions? Moving on. And it's like, that answered nothing. New. Nothing. And it goes back to trying, I, I think it goes back to the Christianity of it all, where like, sex is for reproduction purposes only. And that is it. A married man with a married woman will have sex to have a child. And he puts it in her. And they have a child. But I think and this, that's that. Yeah. And that ignores 98% of the human sexuality experiences. experiences. Yeah. yeah. So removing, I think this country is like we said earlier, I think, uh, going back to this idea of like, we are a white Christian nation and need to adhere to white Christian ideals and removing that kind of like barrier. And understanding that, like, we are a spectrum of humanity with a spectrum of, we always say we don't kink shame in this house. Like, however, people of all ages 
need to understand what is out there and need to educate themselves on what it is because otherwise what ends up happening is a uh, trial by fire. Big fire. With a lot of missteps and a lot of traumatic experiences because you were never educated as to what this means, how to move through this world, how, you know, that's entirely the argument over... um, abstinence only only education where we've seen where abstinence only education communities just see a rise in teenage birth um, pregnancies pregnancies so yeah uh, and let me explain one thing to the christians out there of utah the mormons um the porn mags at the rock quarries aren't really around anymore (laughs) so if your kid really really wants to like get enticed by Pornhub and can no longer find it him and his friends are going to go to the 30-year-old's house with the big screen TV and the subscription, and mm-hmm. that might be more scarier. Yeah. And uh, let me also explain this to the Utahns of this world. There's a thing in this world called VPN. Yeah. You can and, get one. And actually what we have seen since this happened was that the rise in Google searches for VPN in the state of Utah has like skyrocketed. So Utah is like, fuck you, Utah. I'm still going to get my porn and I'm just now going to have to do it by paying for a VPN service. And similarly, your kids are now going to go over to the person's house that has a VPN service so that they can get their porn rather than seeing it in the safety of their own home, which they should be safe to look at porn in their own Under home. Under their own blanket while you're downstairs watching 30 Rock or whatever. Let, let people like find their own sexuality without you having to dictate what sexuality should be for them. So Yeah. Switching gears, but not by too far for how much for a gram. Uh, this is kind of still on topic because it's about teens and youth. Uh, But there was a recent post from the Washington Post that says teen weed use has dramatically changed and parents aren't ready for it. How has it dramatically changed? It has changed because a typical joint smoked decades ago contained less than 4% THC, the psychoactive compound in marijuana. Mm -hmm. However, nowadays with the rise of, you know, horticulturalism in marijuana, um, THC high potency products most popular with teens uh, often contain anywhere from 40% to upwards of 95% of THC. So kids are getting way, way higher than they ever did in the past. Mm -hmm. And now with also elements such as like vaping, Mm -hmm. it's and legalization of it uh, in certain cities. It's just becoming a lot harder for parents to keep an eye on their kids to avoid it. That's right, because you can't smell it anymore. You can't. There's... You don't need a dupe tube with some Febreze, Johnny. Red eyes? No, not no mouth. Um, I guess my thing is, is, is this segue? The, we t- had the conversation about Pornhub. I think this is also a similar thing where technology, again, is complicating everything. Because when you have, I'll say this, I, one of the main reasons why I don't smoke marijuana is because of how potent it is now. <laughs> like, I remember being 16 all the way to maybe 25, where even if I hit a bong, 
it was it was you could get some strong weed, but it was like you could maintain, you could function. But now what I used to smoke, which was good shit, is now like swag or whatever, like <laughs> Reggie. I don't know all the terminology now. But now if you like you get a joint from someone, it's something that's going to light your mind on fire and it's out of control. And I don't know how parents adapt to this. Uh-huh. But at the same time, I think similar to sex education, drug education is uh-huh. bad. Um, so I don't know, Chibi. I think part of it is the legalization and regulation of marijuana, right? And there's normalization. A, there is there yeah, there is a reason that we know that one shot of tequila is going to do this to my body. Why? Because we know that one shot of tequila contains 40% alcohol. And 40% alcohol does this to my body, right? So there's there's a the lack of regulation ends up creating this disparity of like, you have no idea what you're putting in your body right now, right? Um, I think there is also that lack of honesty and open communication that happens between parents and, and children. And that I knew I had a lot of friends growing up that their parents were very much like hippies, You not necessarily hippies, but being like, you're a child, mm. you're a developing brain, you're a developing adult. You probably shouldn't be smoking weed. Right. If this does interest you, Come talk to me. Got it. You know, and we we will, you know, like converse. Let's, we'll converse. And if you want to, cool. Let's smoke weed together. Why? Because I used to smoke weed or because I do or whatever. Right. And having this open conversation of what that is similar. Th- the same conversation happens around alcohol. Right. Like kid. No, you sh- I don't know. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, I think it does to where it's like, you're a child. You probably shouldn't drink. Oh, you want to have a drink? All right, fine. You have a beer. I have a beer. When I right? learned you can drink beer at 16 in Germany, it made me question everything I knew about well, American Well, 100%. Life. 100%. Because like over there, they teach their their youth how to drink before they teach them how to drive. Yeah. And so then they learn how to handle their liquor. And, and they don't binge drink as much as we do. They don't, right? And so that's where, but I think that's where the conversation between the parent and the child happens to where like, all right, son, who is 14 years old, do you think you're old enough to have a beer? All right, let's have a beer together. Right. The pure soul of America versus dog shit. (laughs) Yeah. Versus the parent who's like, oh, you're 14. You think you have a beer? You can't have anything until you turn 21. And don't you don't let me ever catch you having, you know, like any sort of drink. What happens? That child ends up sneaking out. That child ends up, you know, having more drinks than it knows what to do with. That leads to bad decisions or accidents or deaths or like all sorts of things versus just being like, all right, cool. This is something you would like to explore. Let's explore this together. So all, all I'm saying is that if we were to remove this kind of like Christian shame and Christian stigmatism and legal overreach that this country has and just allow parents to parent their children how they feel is best and having open and honest conversation with them rather than this all or nothing, black or white, abstinence only, drugs are bad kind of conversation <laughs> with them, then we might be at a place where, you know, children can grow up much more informed and not have to make the mistakes that I made in my life of like being like, well, if you're telling me I can't do any drugs, I'm going to do all the drugs. 
Yeah. But I think we live in a time and age now to oh, where yeah. like there's so much more data out there. There's so much more guidance around it. There's so much more literature, literature and also lived experiences of like, look what happened in Amsterdam. Look what's happening in Denver, you know, like to where we can make better decisions, people and do better for the youth. Just don't black or white it and actually have a conversation with your kids. Straight up. So, yeah. That's it for how much for a gram. Let's let's get out of here, people. That's all we got today. But thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Luna Soul. <laughs> you're cheap, but you're a little bit classy. I don't I don't know. I you're think- like me. I, th- I feel like you've been seduced by Luna Sewell right now. A little bit. Luna Sewell wore the red dress and you were like... I was like, hey. Hey. I see you over there. What I, a- I know you. Yeah. And you know you. That's right. And you know that I know that you know I, that I know you. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening. Anything you want to uh, share with the audience, Chibbers? Anything coming up. Uh, if you're in the Houston area, there will be a BIPOC book fest Boom. happening uh, this coming weekend, you can find more information. You can find more information at BIPOC Book Fest on Instagram. I think it is. I don't know, uh, but we'll be there. Uh, don't really have anything else outside of that. I'm not looking forward to how much it's going to rain over the next ten days. That's what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to the lake. Why? I've are been you feeling that me? too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm, me nothing uh go see guardians of the galaxy three go get me cry your eyes out we will cry your eyes out we will we uh decided to go see Wenak plays instead of guardians of the galaxy three choices man choices uh, uh but thank you all so much for listening this is a gemini's production uh my name is rooster if you want to find me you can find me on instagram at Roost MTZ R-O-O-S-T-M-T-Z Chibbert where can they find you? If you want to find me you can find me at Gemini's at G-E-M-I-N-E-Y-E-S until next time Smoke people. a doobie watch some porn exactly and exactly. uh, fuck Carl Lagerfeld and fuck Carl Lagerfeld but don't, don't fuck, fuck Carl Lagerfeld, Lagerfeld. alright we out thank folks. you all so much peace